Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education, because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast, conversations with Jesse and Courtney. Welcome to episode 16 of the Love of Life podcast. Thank you for joining us, listening in. If you're listening on our podcast or if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, that's great. Hope you're doing well. And here we are again for another episode and another conversation. So how's it going, Courtney? Things are going well. (laughs) And we wanted to talk about books. Um, Just some of the books that we've read this past year that have had an impact on us. Um, And then even just some little points or takeaways from them. He reads books in circles around me, so my stack is pretty short compared to his, but um, good You read a lot. Ways. You read a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying, but for me, if I don't get to read some of the books that I'm reading, but I read um, the portions of the Bible that I have set for the day to read, then I count it as a success. And in this season of life, that's just... Four kids and yeah. work and... Everything at school yeah. and everything else, yeah. Yeah. So. We're busy, so yeah. I mean, it's, I don't think I read as much as I want to read. I do like to read a lot, and I read daily or almost daily, but it's not like I'm a fast reader and I don't read, you know, more than probably people that consider themselves voracious readers. But why read? I, I mean, what is the importance of reading? That's a good question. Um, one, it actually takes me back to one of our former pastors and his comment early on when we started to go to um, a church 10 years ago, something like that, uh, or so. He said, um, do you remember this? He, he said that the, one, the two greatest influences in... The things that will change you the, the most. The two things that will change you the most. That was it. The two things that will change you the most this year. It was one of those sermons where I think it was like a New Year's... Not resolution kind of thing. But like beginning of the but year. But beginning of a year out. kind of a sermon, yeah. yeah. He said that the two two things that will change you the most and make the most impact on you will be the people that you meet, the company that you keep, mm-hmm. and the books that you read. And that has stayed with us for almost a decade. And we'll occasionally comment about that quote or that thing that he said because it's it's very true. The company that we keep and the books that we read are very important. They, the, the, you know, first Corinthians says bad company corrupts good character. So, you know, smutty books or whatever, if we constantly ingest things that are uh, filtering our mind with evil, we're essentially being overcome with evil, I think, by ingesting material that is harmful to our health, spiritually, maybe even physically. Um, but the company that we keep and the books that we read are vitally important to our uh, growth and our, especially our spiritual development. Yeah, it makes me think too, because we live in a culture that's saturated with a hate for God and his ways, 
and we are constantly being um, surrounded by that and just that whole, that ethos, that idea is everywhere in our culture. If we're not doing anything to counter how we're ingesting that, um, the anti-God in so many ways that sometimes it's subtle, right? Like if we're not taking in things purposefully that point us to the truth of God's word and the truth of God's ways, then we're not doing anything to counterbalance um, like the corruption. Mm-hmm. So, and, the- and I can't even think of any examples necessarily, but just, you know, our, our culture views children as, um, and that's just one thing, just as more of a hindrance to what you really should be doing or what you want to be doing, not as a blessing from the Lord. I mean, there's all the way down about things. The world's sense of morality is completely separate from God's true sense of morality, what he considers moral. So we're just, we're ingesting what the world thinks about right and wrong and good and evil constantly through everything that's all around. So we have to be purposeful about setting truth before our eyes. Um, The weird thing is we're, we're constantly catechizing ourselves, no matter if it's with our smartphones or our TV time in the evenings or the books that we read. Our Instagram thread or just, you know, I mean, any... Anything that's around us, or books even, you know. Or our YouTube videos that we watch, yeah. or our podcasts that we listen to. All of that is playing an impact on how we view life, view God, view kids. What we value, what we spend our time on. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, very, it's very important on what we, what we decide to willingly ingest and give ourselves to. So Yeah, so yeah. with that. So all that being said. <laughs> let's talk about some of the good books. Yes. Do you want to go first? No, you go first. Because I have more? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So I don't know which book to start with, and this is not an exhaustive list, but um, I think I read a few more books than this this year, but I'm not quite certain. These are the ones that I just grabbed because um, I thought these are worth highlighting or talking about. I don't know what book to start with. Um, oh, hey, I read this one too. So you <clears> say this. You read this to me. Okay. Start with so, it. all right. Can we start with this? Yeah. It's C.S. Lewis, Do We Have Faces. You can't go wrong, of course, starting or ending a talk with a a Lewis quote or book or anything else Lewis, pretty much. So, um, Till We Have Faces, I started reading this out loud to you five years ago. ago. Normally, if ever I read a book, if we read a book together, we can get it done. And we can read it in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, whatever. This book, we took a break from I don't know how many times. I think we even got about halfway through and a year or two went by and we're like, let's just start it over. Yeah, we couldn't remember right. where we were, what was happening. Yeah, several yeah. times we reread parts because we couldn't remember yeah. where we left off. Yeah, so we I guess stuck with it though. Yes, and we finally finished it a few months ago, and it was worth it. Oh, it, <laughs> it was, was worth so the five good. year. Okay, long well, first off, out. you made me years ago. She's a graphic designer, um, and among other things, um, she's a graphic designer. And years ago, she made me a quote from this book, which is one of my favorite quotes of any C.S. Lewis book, which says, the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from. It's, and it's so good. I said, can you make a graphic out of this or can you do something with this? So I have a, like a poster. It's a picture of a circle and a triangle. It's it's cool. And it's got the quote in the middle of it, right? Is that what it is? A circle and a triangle, something like that. Okay. I don't know where it is now. It's downstairs. Okay. It was hanging up at our last house, but we moved. So anyway, um, love that quote. And then, of course, um, so this book took us a forever in a day to read. 
Um, Can you read the end though? For people who haven't read this, it's kind of like a terrible thing to do. If you haven't read this book, close your ears. I don't know what you're doing. Well, of course, I don't know what we were doing. (laughs) Took us years to finish. Um, But if just skip 10 seconds, but this is one of the last quotes of the, this is one of the last lines of the book. And to me, it's just epic. It's, you kind of have to explain why this is impactful. Like what has she been doing? So throughout the whole book, this character, um, what's her name? Um, let's see, there's Psyche, and then there is, uh, oh, oh, Aurel, or Oriel, or Aurel, Aurel, I think that's how I read it, Aurel, who essentially has a sister that she looks upon as the beauty, she's beautific, uh, she's like the beautific uh, model of all wonder to her, and, um, essentially throughout this whole book, Aurel's character is complaining and whining about everything, she becomes this queen of this kingdom, um, and her sister kind of like dies and resurrects again. It kind of comes back. Yeah, there's she some, kinda loves there's some her weird, sister, but then she kind of doesn't. Right. But throughout the whole book, she's literally complaining. She even uses the words, I'm complaining about this or upset. I'm upset the about that. The whole book is her writing her complaint. It has been a long journal of her story that is just her complaint about everything that's fallen out and how everything has happened. Yeah. But finally, at the very end, she sort of sees this glimpse or this this god comes and visits her and he's like the judge and it's it's not a it's not like Nar- narnia where you can see all of the oh aslan's jesus and this and that you know it's mm-hmm. it's it's very different than that so if you haven't read this book um again my apologies i never spoil anything i'm going to spoil this um, and though, though it's not really much of a spoiler, it's really not. It's just a beautiful quote. No, but like the it's people that quote. open up a book and read like the last paragraph, that's like, who does well, that? Well, we read the whole thing. So, you know, she says this, I ended my first book with the words, no answer. I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer before your face questions die away. What other answer would suffice? Only words, words to be let out to battle against other words. And then she finishes, long did I hate you, long did I fear you, I might, and then her character drops over dead. Mid-sentence. But it's just, this is the funny thing, just real quick on a tangent about Lewis. I view Lewis as this kind of like stoic guy who smokes a pipe and, you know, his, you know he's friends with the Inklings and these sort of guys up in the ivory tower, smart, intellectual. intellectual dudes. And yet at the same time, he writes poetry in his books that is, it's just, it's almost like... A, a kind, sweet soul who isn't highbrow or isn't someone who is just of great intellect, but can actually feel the innate sense of life as it courses through him. And he writes these words that are just, they're just beautiful. They're just beautiful words and they actually mean something. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I love that. Anything else yeah. you want to say about this book? Um, Till we have faces. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's really good. It's, yes. Yeah. It's very good. Get it. Um, do you want to go next or do you want me to go again? You go again. All right. Um, let's see. I've got a handful of Rush Dooney books. Uh, I'll save this one. Okay. Here's one. So this is Glory and Honor. I don't have the jacket or whatever on it anymore. I don't even know where it went to, but it's about Johann Sebastian Bach, the great composer by uh, Greg Wilbur. And in the Leaders in Action series, which David Vaughn, our former pastor, has written a few books for the Leaders in Action series. George Grant has written for the Leaders in Action series. Doug Wilson, 
and the list goes on. So some great men have written some wonderful books in the Leaders in Action series. But this book I read about uh, Bach, it was it was just it was great. Bach was uh, a musical genius. He was extremely hospitable with people that came to live with him in his home and his family. Half of his children died at a certain time. I think he had 13 children and six died, something like that, um, before they reached, like some of them died in infancy, some of them died a little bit older. He had a robust, tragic, happy life. Like so much happened to him. Uh, and He went through so much. Uh, but yeah, and there's still, I mean, there's so much music that we don't even know about that has not been, I guess, found from Bach. Because um, he wasn't famous in his life, right? He, well, I thought he wasn't... Before I read this book, I thought he wasn't famous at all. In the sense that what I... The, the story that I've heard is that Bach essentially... We recovered his music. So Mendelssohn, Felix Mendelssohn is another composer, lived about a hundred or so years after Bach. And Mendelssohn helped recover a lot of Bach's music. And I thought the story went... Bach was truly no one even in his life. That's not exactly true. Bach definitely, he may not have had an enormous following the way he does now to where he's just, his name is ubiquitous in all of music. Uh, but he was somebody who he had, he, he actually worked. He had a job in music. Um, he was known in his area for music. Okay. Um, so he, he, it wasn't as if he was an anonymous writer who posthumously became famous or whatever. Yeah. He's probably, he's more famous now. Than he, what he was in his life, um, but uh, if any he he his legacy he absolutely deserves it. He's he's the kind of guy who was a was a wonderful Christian man who. And it's and the last note about Bach. It was it's interesting to note that so many of the secularists they recognize Bach's genius in his music, but they don't want to talk about his faith, which was all over the place and it's all within his music. And uh, they try to somehow take it out. But you really can't successfully with Bach. He really was overtly a follower of Christ and a lover of truth. So, And yeah, what did you yeah. tell me about what part of this point of some of the music he composed even was? Like to be used within the church or to... Yes. He was essentially trying to um, create uh, reform church music, essentially, among other things. But yeah, he was... He, he was um, very much involved with uh, with church music, and a lot of his music is f- specifically for church. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, anyway, Gr- uh, Glory and Honor by Greg Wilbur. Great book. Okay, your turn. Okay. I've talked about this one on the podcast before, but this is called The Return of Prayers. Puritan. By Thomas Goodwin. <laughs> yeah, and it was so good from start to finish, like just... Things I had never really thought about, about prayer. Um, like it really talks to, he talks about just a mindfulness of um, looking for answers to prayers. And like some of the things that he points out, I could look back and go, oh yeah, I've experienced that when I've prayed and God's answered. But just the way that he puts it, it makes it really easy to see when you, once he points it out. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Yes. And talk about the, it kind of blew your mind, especially at the beginning, as Mm -hmm. he was talking about prayer, Mm -hmm. all the things we don't ask for, and yet our father wants to give us. And we're not just talking material blessings or anything. No. Although the, how do you say it? Deuteronomic blessings 
that do come from following the Lord can also be material as well. The Lord can bless us materially as well. Yeah. Well, and somebody once said, God is far more willing to answer our prayers than we are to pray them. So, yeah, I mean, just a lot of stuff. And he also talks about what to pray for, what's biblical to pray for, and but also how God loves to answer the prayers of his saints and how he'll burden us about certain things and how he'll lift the burden because he doesn't want our prayers to be wasted. He wants to say, he wants to answer them. Um, and then understanding his timeline is different than ours, but that we are supposed to pray and then we're supposed to expect that God will answer, not always exactly how we pray it. And sometimes we're to look for our answers um, in different ways, but we're supposed to see the connection between what we pray and an answer we received, even if the answer isn't directly how we prayed for it. Um, and he kind of gives some guideline for that, but um, it's really cool. And he talks about prayers being a language that we have with God. Like we pray and then in his answers, we learn more about God and more about what he likes to answer and how he likes to answer and um, just his goodness towards us. It's a back and forth. So it definitely made us even more encouraged to pray and to keep track of God's answers and to thank him um, for them. So great book. Did you talk about being the prayers that are stored up? I don't know. Did you mention that just now? I think, no, not just now, but we have talked about that. Okay. Laying but that's where that's laying your prayers up, storing up your prayers, that even the prayers of those people that have died, their prayers were not in vain. In fact, for some of their prayers, they could have been prayers that God is answering today, long after they're dead, that those prayers have been stored or laid up was another kind of mm-hmm. watershed Pretty moment cool. in our understanding of prayer. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's such, it's a small book, but it's really dense. So even after reading a little, it'd be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is like, and it's a book that I want to go back to again and again, probably yearly. Yeah. Which, judging by my book list in a year, maybe I'll have to do every two years. Yeah. (laughs) So that I can read more than three books. Yeah, no doubt. Your turn. Okay. Um, Let me hit. Okay. Any of them. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Let me hit All right. Little book. God's Plan for Victory by RJ Rushduni. I have a few Rushduni books and I wanted to see which one I wanted to <laughs> talk about first. Okay. So, anyway, uh God's Plan for Victory. This book is a total of uh 41 pages and is worth the price of admission. It's very good. Um What's it about? It is about um, post-millennialism and our assured victory, not necessarily in our lifetime, but the assured victory of the church triumphant on this earth of God's victory over sin and salvifically uh, in the world that the, uh, that the Great Commission will succeed and prosper. And I think that uh, 48 pages or what did I say? 48, 41, 41, 41 pages of this is well worth the, uh, the the read, especially if you're new to uh, post-millennial thought or, or whatever. It's um, The only thing that might be a little dated is some of the counterexamples that he gives. He's, he's talking about people, say, that are no longer relevant okay. um, or maybe were in the 1970s, but just aren't anymore. Um, so but other than that, the book itself is very relevant, very biblically based, and... Uh, I got a lot from this. You can get this at Calcedon's website, calcedon.edu, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can go there. 
uh, and get that. Or somewhere else, maybe one of the book places, what are the, some of the other book places we buy from? Uh, uh, thrift books. Thrift books. We buy a lot of yeah. books there. Okay, uh, in that same vein, The Puritan Hope by Ian Murray. I want to say this book came out. Doug just did a review on this on his podcast. Oh, really? Doug Wilson just did a review on this on his podcast, and he talked about The Puritan Hope and what it meant to him. And apparently his whole story was he wasn't even looking for books on eschatology when he found and stumbled on The Puritan Hope. And he read it, and it really helped shape his understanding of certain things within the post-millennial framework. But one of the things that it helped me, because um, it's it's not just a book about eschatology, it's also, I would actually say primarily, this is a history book. This is a history book on missionaries. In fact, missionaries that I grew up as a homeschooler read books about, David Livingston, William Carey, and others. Um, and it's really about their... So men like David Livingston, for instance, who lived in the 1800s, who went to places in, as it were, deepest, darkest Africa and went and risked his life to go live among people who didn't know him uh, and a whole area that was dangerous at the time. Well, William Carey, the same thing, went to India. These men, you know, they took the gospel not because they thought, well, I guess I need to go witness to people or maybe the gospel will be successful. These men had an understanding of the word of God that was, if I go and present the gospel, first of all, this is what I'm called to do. Part of the Great Commission is to go and teach all nations uh, and disciple. But these men really believed that the gospel was going to be successful. And that God would be faithful that, to his promise and yes. his command. If he commanded it, it's because he wills it and he'll watch over it. Yes. Yeah. So um, anyway, great, great, great book. Uh, history on a lot of the missionaries. I think that's what I took away from it really the most was just the missionary effort that we have seen that has had an effect to date of these particular uh, men that went out and risked their lives. Um, they did so with an understanding that the Great Commission would be successful in the world. Is that also the book that talked about some of the history of dispensational thought and where that came from? I was going to mention that as well. Yes, it did. Um, so like the history of dispensational thought, it's not that old, really. I mean, it's like the 1820s, 1830s uh, that a man named... Darby? Danby or Darby? Darby, I believe it was. I so. um, yeah, it was a man that really believed... So this is going to sound familiar. In the 1830s, this man believed that the rapture was imminent within his lifetime. Jesus was going to return because things got so bad. And and then he started going through the scriptures saying, see, this is where this really says, see, Christ is at the door. He's here. He's almost, he's coming. But as a result, um, a lot of things within their ministry, uh, you know, they were called the brethren. It was the brethren movement. Uh, it wasn't, other than a lot of uh, doom and gloom, popping the popcorn of doom and gloom eschatology, uh, you know, these those men, as far as I read and as far as I understand, those men didn't make uh, an impact from a missionary standpoint or fulfilling the Great Commission. They believed, if anything, they should withdraw themselves from the world. So they weren't trying to build and accomplish God's purposes here on earth. What's the point? If, if Jesus is coming back next week and you're thoroughly convinced of it, hey, you know, let's kind of eat, drink, and be merry, you know, in the name of the Lord, 
and just wait for him, right? Like if that is the truth, then there's no reason to risk your life or limb in, in a missionary endeavor at all. You, you might as well just sit back and kind of enjoy the ride, however bad it's going to get, supposedly. Um, but anyway, wh- what, what is interesting is how cyclical this kind of thinking is among the church. Uh, it's very unfortunate. Um, but the, the, the church is constantly regurgitating the same um, misunderstanding of Scripture, I believe, with this. Uh, well, and it's like when you see it in somebody that lived in the 1830s who thought, like, this is the end. Right. And then here we are. In and here we are again. Yeah. Like, but clearly it wasn't the end then. And there's been, you yep. know, yep. And, you know, in a hundred so. years from now, people are going to say it's so bad, maybe, you know. Well, and, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully at some point as, as the gospel does increase and it is increasing. Yeah. People will um, join in the and work. grow. Exactly. People will say, wait a minute, we have a work to do, and that is to teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So anyway, The Puritan Hope by Ian Murray came out in 1970, I believe, uh, or so. So anyway, um, great book. 1971. I'll look back and be like, oh, why didn't I say the exact year? (laughs) Um, Do you want me to go again? How many books do you have? Okay. Like two, two, three. Two or three. Okay. Yeah. I have a lot of books I'm halfway through, which okay. are good books. Probably going to go quicker. Do it. For each thing. Okay. So Heaven Misplaced by Doug Wilson. It is a little book, uh, but it is packed full of, uh, again, the history of post-millennialism. More, it's not so much the history. Let me take that back. It's not the history of post-millennialism. It is the, uh, it is the understanding derived thereof of, from the word of God as to how we arrive with this um, – eschatology that is optimistic overall where it is in the scriptures where it is in the scriptures and things like that and uh it's 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 a little book let me see if i can find the the page count and the year published no 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 that's not as necessary for this (laughs) okay um i don't know if i can find it real quick oh he says i began this short book by asking for a willing suspension of disbelief what if the world were to be saved what if the Great Commission were actually to succeed? What if the nations were to stream to Jesus Christ, believing in him? How wonderful it would all be if all of this could be true. The best part of the story is, it is. <laughs> it's so it. classic, Doug. And Lewis. Like, it's very Lewis-y, very Doug, Wilson. Uh, yeah, great book. Heaven Misplaced. I won't give you the year and all that. You can look it up. And you can find it at Canon Press, probably. Get the Canon app if you haven't gotten the Canon app. Will it read it to you on there? Yeah, it has. Will it read it to you? Yes, it has the audio book on there. (laughs) Will it read it to you? Yes, it will. (laughs) So I like books. Another thing. um, We'll just do another Doug book. This is a fun book. This book is going to be made into a movie at some point soon. I think Joseph Granda is the director. uh, Last I heard, Uh, and it's a little book. It's all about sex and the sex robotic industry. But it's not graphic and it's not inappropriate and whatever. It's Doug Wilson, right? <laughs> From Moscow, Idaho. But it's, uh, this is a fun story. It's a novel. And, um, it's, uh, I'll just, I won't read anything from it. It's basically just a book about a theoretical world of what if this happens in the robot sex industry and things. And unfortunately, you know, Doug's not a prophet, but he is, he, he, he puts this off into the future like it's the future future, but we're already starting to see some of these things take shape and happen. So 
I don't know. I mean, I know he's trying not to be prophetical. And, and there's a lot of humor in this book too. And uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to the movie that's supposed to come out maybe in a year or so. We need to interview Joseph Granda. That would be fun. That would be fun. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So ride, Sally, ride. He was giving this away for No Quarter November a few days ago. So check yeah. on maybe blog and May blog or on Doug Wilson's YouTube channel somewhere because they were giving a um, uh, digital copy of this away for free. I don't know. I don't know if they still. I don't know if they still are. So if they're not, sorry. Um, but yeah, a good book. Go ahead. Okay, this is just a short book. It's a kids' book, and I don't even believe it's Christian. Nice. It's called The Empty Pot. Wow. And I finished this book. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> let me see the page count. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this wow. is a Are really... you just going to make fun of me now the whole time? <laughs> this is a really clever Kids little book. book girl. And it has a um, just a really good truth in it. Okay. So I don't want to give away the You're going to read the whole book? But I could. It's no, really good. I'll read it to you. Um, Who's it by? Demi? Demi Moore? Demi. I don't even know. But it's uh, about the truth. It's a story about the truth. And I do recall you reading it to the kids. It's, it's Yeah, it's really clever. It's I didn't... Clever book. Yeah. So, anyway. If yeah. you have kids or if you don't, The Empty Pot by Demi. Yeah. Good book. Do you want me to go again since I yeah. have a few more? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I referenced this book um, a few weeks ago on the podcast, on the YouTube channel, whatever. Uh, but this is by a friend of mine. Uh, he, he just has his name Nicholas on here. But it's about post-genderism, war on the binary. You can get this at Amazon, I believe. Uh, I don't know if you can get it anywhere else, which is why I mentioned Amazon. I don't ever want to mention Amazon, but there you go. I think it's on Amazon. It's called here. If you can see that, boom. Uh, this is a this this was a this was, again. This was another really good, insightful book on where we are today regarding the war on gender, and every Christian should be equipped at this point. Uh, in their journey, new Christian, Christian that's been a Christian for thirty years. To say, God made male and female, and that's it. That's it. That's as, that's as simple as it is. And every Christian should be willing to say that. Anyway, this is the, uh, this is the kind of the history of where this sort of came from, like the systemic nature of why we're in this debate now, how this is even a debate to begin with. Um, it hits on feminism and some other interesting cultural things. And I, I learned a lot from this book. So it's called Post, Post-Genderism, War on the Binary. And I won't give the year of when it was written or the page count. <laughs> but, okay. And then The Mythology of Science. Another R.J. Rushdoony book. This book came out in the 60s. I won't give you the exact year. <laughs> but I, I, I wanted to mention the 60s because it's so prescient. Prescient? Prescient. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, it's 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 another one of these books where a a man who understood the times in which he lived could see the future, not literally, of course. You could and, see the progression of where that kind of thinking, even then, was going to end up, where yes. it was going to lead. In particular, in the science world, and the only thing I'll note from this book is. The way in which we worship science and scientists in this country, and we do, obviously, now, <laughs> more than yeah. ever, uh, it is so clear that we worship the God of science, and science is so seemingly arbitrary, at least related to the news and certain things that we 
see among us, you know, regardless of what we take a stance on the efficacy of certain things, you know what I'm talking about. Um, this, this book is, it's, uh, indispensable. It needs to be read right now. It is a, it is more, it is more useful now to read this book than it was in the 1960s when RJ was alive and wrote this very good book. So the mythology of science. And again, uh, you can get it from Calcedon's website or I'm sure somewhere else. Thrift Books might have it. Okay, I'm narrowing it down. I'm narrowing it down. Uh, I've already talked too much about post-millennialism. But well, I do want to like say... It's the track we've it's been, been It's been on track this whole year. But it's not the only type of thing that no. we've read, obviously. Yes. But this book is uh, it's called Post-Millennialism and Eschatology of Hope by Keith Matheson. And um, it's a good primer on the history, the biblical understanding of post-millennialism. Uh, it's, it's easy to read, it's easy to follow, and uh, it's really good. He goes into a lot of the various covenants as opposed to the dispensations that a lot of teachers go into. Um, and it gives the history of the, say, the uh, Abrahamic covenant, the David, Davidic, Davidic, Davidic. Davidic covenant, um, and, and other ones. And it's very insightful and very easy to read, too. So... So of the post-millennial books that you've read this year and the ones that you've mentioned, where would you say to start? If somebody's interested, they don't know that much about it, they want to understand some more, what of these books would you say is a good primer, the best primer? Uh, This one. I would like to say Doug Wilson's book, but I think you should read this one first by Keith Matheson and then go to Heaven uh, Heaven Misplaced by Doug. Wilson. And also a book that I'm about a fourth of the way through is He Shall Have Dominion by Kenneth Gentry. I would say if anyone wants to read the to- on the topic, I would say start with this book. It's easy to read. It's not that big. I won't give you the page count. Um, but it's not that it's, you know, it took me, I don't know how long, not very long. I read it like every morning feeding, read. feeding the baby for a few weeks. So it's a, it's a good and easy read. Also, uh, RJ, or RJ, uh, RC Sproul gives a recommendation to it. That's a very familiar name to probably most of the people who would be watching or listening to this. Um, dun, 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 pedo baptism <laughs> to a thousand generations. Doug Wilson. This has been another, let's not go into the weeds or go into this too much. Cause this is just a separate topic altogether. Um, but, uh, we went from a Baptistic, I think, understanding of, um, baptism and into more of a pedo, pedo communion understanding of baptism through this book here. And it's, again, it's a little book. It's by Doug Wilson to a thousand generations. It's about infant baptism. We got all of our children baptized a few months ago, including our baby. And, um, again, a lot to do with the word covenant. Covenant renewal, covenant within the family. Um, yeah, so I'm not. I'm not going to on here right now. Let's not, unless you want to talk about it. I, I'm not going to make arguments can, for yeah, or against or whatever. But I will just, this is just a good book to read, and this has changed a lot of our understanding of baptism. Right. I will just say that when the idea of baptizing babies first came into our periphery, it was like. That is weird. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and seems you know very Catholic, which we're not. So it was um, definitely kind of a wait. What? Okay, now we're doing this whole post millennialism thing, so let's not take on another big topic. But the more we explored it and saw some of the biblical reasoning, um, I mean, we can see it, and we can see uh, 
the basis for it in the Bible. And so it's worth exploring. And I think it's very much in line with covenantal thinking and with Jesus not wanting children to be hindered, but to come to him. So we can talk more about that at some point. But that book was really helpful in understanding how it's not the same understanding um, that's practiced in Catholicism. It's very different, um, but very biblical. Yeah, very good book. Uh, Okay, two more. How many do you have? Two. Go ahead, you go. Okay. Uh, I read The Fruit of Her Hands by Nancy Wilson, and it's a short, easy read, and it goes through um, just... A lot of the different aspects of being a Christian woman and... Does this make us Wilsonites with all these Wilson books we're reading? It might, but I would be one proudly. Okay, good. Um, (laughs) Marriage, walking with God, respect, principles and methods, contentment, homemaking, lovemaking, leftovers. Kind of an all-around guide to... Nancy talks about lovemaking? She does. Yep. Different aspects of being married and having children. Yes. Yes, she does. Um, really good. Really Did helpful. you learn anything out of that chapter? I learned things from all the chapters. <laughs> it's really, really practical. One thing I love about Nancy is from reading her books and listening to her, um, she has a short podcast. She will take like, here's this truth from the Bible. And then here's what we need. Here's what you can do today to be faithful and obedient to it. It's just, she really practically applies scriptural truth and God's commands and how we can just walk in them and easily start today, start right now, start here. Um, it's not like, Oh, here's this great truth. And just like, think on it. It's like, here's a great truth. And here's what you can do to walk it out. Yeah. Um, so really helpful. Yeah. It's really good. And did you just finish that recently, by the way? I started, yeah, I finished that maybe a month or two ago and I started another one by her that's called praise her in the gates. And it's really good too. Nice. Nice. Okay. Last, uh, second to last, R.J. Rushduni, Law and Liberty. This is a primer to his Institutes, which is an enormous, like, 1,500 or 2,000-page book that we recently just got. But Law and Liberty by R.J. Rushduni, it has got several topics within the book, and the chapters are short. They're easy to read. It's easy to follow. But questions like, uh, in topics, can we legislate morality? The sanctity of life, law and nature, law in the future, law and authority, law and chaos, law and evolution, law and alchemy, law and magic, law and government. Uh, lots of other great things. I learned some stuff about nepotism that was really interesting because I've always thought, oh, nepotism is bad because it has bad connotations. But originally nepotism or the understanding of hiring your nephews, which is where hmm, it actually comes from, from. Uh, was not a bad thing at all. In fact, if anything... It has completely changed my understanding, for the most part, unless somebody is giving their son a job with special benefits from the standpoint of he doesn't have to do any work. That's not the point. Like That would be a wrong form of nepotism. But to give your son, say, the work of your hands when you are alive or when you pass on is a biblical understanding of the way the Bible talks about God and the family and the family government is to pass on things to your sons. And part of that could be business. And to have him work with you and for you. And, and yeah, I just, I learned a lot regarding that. And I had a quote I was just going to say real quick in regards to the family. And it is, I lost my place. <laughs> I was so excited about reading the table of contents. <laughs> um, let's see. Marx's law. Uh, this is so applicable today. And this is, 
This is stuff that was written a long time ago. Fly of life, fly of knowledge, socialism. Come on, where is it? Planning for famine. Oh, that was a great chapter. Socialism is so silly and so evil. I was going to say, is it silly? Well, yeah, that's putting it nicely. Okay. I know that I had it. Politics on education. I guess I'm going to just not read it because I... Well, we want to talk about family government at some point, so yeah. we can just put a pin in it. I can feel it. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Oh, is that it? The foundations of family? No. The functions of family. Ah, here it is. I found it. Okay. Real quick. So this is a chapter called The Family and Property. And uh, do, 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 do. the biblical family with its liberty and property, is the foundation of Western liberty. To defend the family, therefore, without a defense of its God-given economic foundation, is both wrong and futile. And to defend property without securing its religious foundations is to defend it ignorantly and vainly. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Psalm 127.1 And a couple of notes I took that were directly quotes from Rush Juni was, Property is power. And the only institution which directly appears in the Ten Commandments is the family. The mm. only institution. Not the state government, not, a, not anything, you know, the family. The family government is God's, and we can talk about this in a different podcast, but the family government is God's first institution in creation regarding man. Is that we, the, 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 the construct of the, of the family is the most important. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I thought you would have had something to say about that. But okay. Oh, well, just, I think it's a larger topic. It is. But it's... And we want to talk about that and family devotions and male headship and things of that nature, probably yeah. on a separate time. So Yeah. So there's a lot to it. Yeah. This is just like an overview. Okay. You are lacking in books to read. Well, yeah. here's a few ideas. Yeah. Um, the Bible. That's... Oh, you win. <laughs> so it's 66 you, books, so, so I do win. You read the whole thing? No, not yet. I'm okay. on my way. Okay. I'm on my way this year. Okay. Uh, I read through the New Testament once and going back through that and then going through the Old Testament. So Good. Yep. That's all you want to say about the Bible? Yeah, it's amazing. It's wonderful. <laughs> if you have time to read nothing else. You can get a copy else, anywhere. Read it. You can. And there are several apps that will just read it to you. So That's true. I think a thing is it's hard to find time. So we say, you know, we are busy. We're all doing a lot of things. But We're just, not as busy as we think we are. Well, that's so true. Um, we have time to do lots of other things if we evaluate right. what we have to we do. We discovered that. True. Um, we have to be people with the word. We can't just hear secondhand what the Bible says or what God wants or doesn't want. We have to be in the word and know for ourselves. Yeah. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where do we learn truth? The only source of truth is God's word. Um, so we must be people of the word. We must be in it. And the thing is with daily Bible reading, part of it's getting in the habit of it. It's just making that habit. If you're not squeezing out every little piece of it, but you're reading it and you're letting the Bible change you. You're letting your mind be conformed to the word. Um, that's the point and we'll get better at it the more we do it. And so yeah. if it's, I, I'm just going to read the Bible every day and start wherever you, you can or wherever you want to. Um, I am following the Bible reading challenge from Christ Church and I love the way they've organized the reading. I've gotten so much from it already. Um, but no matter how you read it, just 
read it. Yeah. Just read the Bible. If it's every morning while you're getting ready or while you're brushing your teeth at night, you're letting an app read it to you or you're sitting down to read it. However you do it, just get the word in you. Yeah. Read it daily. Yeah. And if you miss a day, don't feel bad. Just the next day, read. Yes. All right. Last book real quick is The Lord's Service by Pastor Jeff Myers. Jeffrey J. Myers is the exact <laughs> name, just so you know. This is a, well, I'll say it's a big book, but it's it's a nice, chunky book. I'm not done with it yet, uh, but this has been a uh, mind-blowing read, okay? So, the, yeah, I, I can't even get into, and I don't have time, it'll be a separate kind of podcast to discuss the the aspects of church, and I'll just say this as a highlighted note. I used to think we went to church to get something like oh or or and or it was an obligation and I wanted to go to church for the most part most most weeks um, but I viewed church as a well what can I go give God you know I give him my worship I give him my attention while I my listen time. to the sermon um, but it's so much more than that. And there's the this this aspect of covenant renewal that I was very unfamiliar with, and I've been going to church my entire life as of you, and um, it is just mind blowing. It is really, really. It's it's I, I we don't just go to church. All I have to say, we don't just go to church to give of our time and ourselves, and what can I do for Jesus, kind of thing or whatever. Um, I don't, it sounded tacky. I didn't mean it that way. Um, but God is giving himself to us and church is like a dialogue, spiritually speaking, between the corporate body, you know, all together in, in unity. Uh, one of the things that our church does this. So Jeff is actually our pastor, uh, who wrote this book. And, um, one of the things we do in church is we actually in unison say certain prayers, um, we go through liturgy. We uh, we we all kneel at the same time. Uh, there is a sense of um, this being the biblical construct of the way the church coming together that I had not considered before, and I'm finding we are finding tremendous um, gems and just a tremendous amount of uh, what's the best word? Well, it's to so say. rich. It's that's the so word. biblically. <laughs> Rich gems, filled. okay. <laughs> Treasure. I mean, <laughs> in Christ. The, our church services, we've walked away and marveled and gone, oh my gosh, like it's so rich. There's the word throughout it, not just in the sermon, or but like everything we sing is biblical truth. Everything we confess is biblical truth. Like every part of it um, is just rich. And yeah. since you've started reading this, you're like, this is why it's rich. It's so rich because yeah. every part is purposefully um, biblically based yeah. and... Yeah. So and, and, I need to read it because every time we talk about it, I know it's mind blowing, but I'm like, yeah. I need to read it for myself. And we it's... take communion every week. Every Sunday we take communion. There's, um, yeah, there's just so many, there's so many things to talk about with, <laughs> with this book and also with our experience. And I don't like that word, but that our experience of this church is different than anything else we've gone through in our life. And, um, it's been a rich blessing. It's been a rich blessing for sure. Um, so yeah, those are the books that we have. Do you have anything else to say or any other book that you wanted to highlight? Um, no, everything else I'm in the middle of, but, um, yeah, reading is awesome. It's just, it's great. Just the things that, 
causes you to consider yeah. that otherwise you wouldn't. You eat. really grow as a as a as a as a person, especially when you're reading good godly. If you're when you're a believer and you're reading good godly material, it really causes you to think and grow, and then to kind of throughout the day be thinking in these veins, as opposed to what was the sports score last night of my favorite game or whatever. Not in and of itself that that's you know. But when you're really cogitating and thinking on these things, you know, the, the word says think on these things, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable. Well, that's a part of our reading. That's a part of life. That's a part of uh, our podcasting or what we listen to, that is, or what we watch. When we change that, when we alter that, it will alter us too. It changes us. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. <laughs> thanks. Go read. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.